from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. As the coronavirus pandemic continues, CUNA's economists are closely following the situation. In a recent webinar, CUNA Chief Economist Mike Schenk, CUNA Senior Policy Analyst Samira Salem, and CUNA Senior Economist Jordan Van Rijn discussed key implications for credit union operations and prospects for financial stability and success. We bring you some of that discussion today on the podcast. The webinar was the first session in CUNA's eSchool on managing economic and operational challenges during the coronavirus pandemic. Visit cuna.org to sign up for future eSchool sessions or access recorded events. Now here's Mike Schenk, Samira Salem, and Jordan Van Rijn. Just a couple things that I wanted to mention before we sort of dive into the details of the forecast. Uh, first, I'm sure you all understand we're in uncharted territory at the moment. This is really uh, substantially different in many respects than any downturn that we've lived in and any that I've experienced in my almost 35 years in the industry. It's a planned downturn, of course, purposely created by policymakers. Part of the uh, difference that that creates is that we're wrestling with both supply chain disruptions and massive demand destruction, unprecedented, as I said, uh, in at least uh, modern historical times. Because of that, there are a wide variety of forecasts out in the marketplace today. There is substantial variation in those forecasts, so it's you know possible for you to uh, find uh, economic forecasts on the web, for example, that show the economy uh, shrinking by about 5% in the second quarter. There are the forecasts that have the economy shrinking by 30% or in some cases more. I think that's worth mentioning simply because in previous versions of our forecast, in previous years, it was very unusual to see a a wide disparity. Uh, Generally, a consensus forecast was pretty tight, and that's certainly not the case today. There have been big changes with the health crisis itself, big policy changes over the past couple weeks, and because of that, also big changes in our forecast. So if we were to have to gotten together uh, two or three weeks ago, you'd be listening to a completely different forecast than the one that we're going to present to you today. A week ago, it would have been different, and more than likely, if we were to get together again in two weeks, there will be differences in this outlook. So uh, we plan to update this on an ongoing basis much more frequently than we have in the past. As you know, we typically do these meetings on a quarterly basis and post a new forecast on a quarterly basis. We'll be doing that much more often going forward until we have more clarity. Some of the things that we talked about when we put this forecast together, uh, there were some really big obvious concerns. The the U.S. health policy in general and the response to the crisis was far from perfect. And we've seen improvements recently. They're obvious, but uh, in some respects we still have a ways to go. There's a lot of disconnect between various healthcare experts and some of the messaging that we're getting from policymakers conflicts. And so that's a very big deal. Uh, monetary policy in the current environment is generally ineffective. No matter how low rates go, even if they're all the way to zero or if they go negative, 
it's not going to necessarily cause people to run out and start buying cars. Uh, the same thing is true for the massive increase in liquidity that the Fed has set up. It's great that that liquidity is there. It sends a really important signal to the marketplace and to consumers generally, to investors. But at the same time, simply creating liquidity doesn't necessarily increase demand for loans or, or for purchases. So that's kind of a big deal. We're very concerned about the possibility of price declines that don't go away, so it's kind of a negative feedback loop with prices. And, um, of course, if we get into that situation, our baseline forecast will be off the tracks very, very quickly because there really isn't a, a decent policy response that we would have to bring to bear in that situation. And generally speaking, consumers who are sitting there watching prices fall generally will not interact from an economic perspective. Generally, they'll sit on the sidelines and, and watch prices fall. After all, you know, why would they run out and buy a car today when car prices are likely to be lower three months down the road? So we're very concerned about that. We're concerned about a variety, and Samira will talk about this, a variety of other black swans or exogenous economic events that uh, have been sort of hanging out there in the wings that in our baseline forecast we're expecting not to actually show up but obviously they could. Those are some of the big things that we talked about in terms of concerns. The good news is, of course, that we're starting from a pretty good place, that the economy, generally speaking, was in good shape uh, as we entered the downturn. We expected 2020 economic results to be softer than 2019, but we, we were thinking that the economy would grow at a, a decent pace at about 1.8%. That was our forecast about a month ago. But, of course, that's changed. It is good to note that the consumer sector, about three-quarters of economic activity overall, the consumer sector, our members were in good shape. Both sides of the balance sheet for most consumers, from a historical perspective, looked pretty good. Low levels of debt, uh, assets that were increasing in value and pretty significantly, and so net worth ratios that were near all-time highs. And by extension, credit union shock absorbers were in place. Credit unions financially were in a good place going into the downturn with high levels of capital, high earnings, decent membership growth, and halfway decent loan growth overall. And so, I mean, if you, if you were going to script this out, I think uh, you couldn't uh, really have scripted out a better position to start from. Uh, now, the, the not-so-great news, of course, is that it's going to get ugly and had already started getting ugly. It's going to get more ugly going forward, more obviously disconnected in many cases and by many measures. So we're here to give you that view, what we think is going to happen from an economic perspective over the next 18 months or so, and then by extension, how we feel that that's going to influence credit union operations generally, not necessarily to give you results that will reflect what your credit union is going to live through, but just to give you some of the general considerations that we see and sort of directionally how we think credit union operations are going to look as we go forward. Our baseline assumptions for this forecast are, number one, that the virus peaks out in the second quarter and it doesn't return. That's consistent with the view of virologists with the Global Virus Network. I should also mention that, you know, we look back in history, not that it's, uh, you know, necessarily a good representation, but going back to the early 1900s, the Spanish flu virus also um, had an associated downturn, and that downturn was the shortest one on record for what it's worth, about seven months. But the main thing is 
most of this will be in the rearview mirror after the end of the second quarter. The second thing is that we believe that policymakers will continue to act, continue to be engaged. So phase three and a half, phase four, maybe phase five, as conditions warrant. The activities that we've seen so far have been pretty dramatic and pretty quick. And so we expect that level of engagement going forward as well. And again, as I mentioned earlier, no other big economic shocks that we're expecting or, or, or that are reflected in this forecast. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Samira. And she's going to talk a little bit about the economy itself and what we think is going to happen from an economic perspective. And then also, after she's done, Jordan Van Ryan will jump in with our outlook for the credit union space. So at this point, I'll turn it over to Samira. Great. Thanks, Mike. So as I'm sure you're all aware, the effects of COVID-19 on the economy, they've been swift and deep. It's like nothing we've ever experienced in our lifetime. As Mike was talking about, it was initially kicked off by a supply shock as China's manufacturing sector was shutting down. And we knew that companies with global supply chains like Apple and others that are connected deeply to China would experience some trouble. But as COVID-19 spread and became a global pandemic, it uh, resulted in the shock to the demand side of the economy, affecting household and business spending. So, you know, the social distancing, including stay-at-home, stay-safe orders, while we know they're essential to getting the public health crisis under control, they have pretty much brought economic activity to a standstill. So now on to economic growth, and I'll share our, our forecast, our latest forecast here. Again, that's available on our website, cuna.org forward slash economics. So the U.S. is witnessing the end of the longest economic expansion in U.S. history. Last year, um, we'd already been talking about a slowdown in economic growth, mainly due to, to the weighing effects of tax cuts and slowing global growth. And the sense for most economists that the economy was moving towards this long-run economic growth path, um, which put growth at around 2%, give or take. And in comes COVID-19, a global pandemic that obviously none of us had anticipated. And the measures to slow the spread of the pandemic, um, which we've talked about, really require that we slow the economy way down. And we'll talk about what we're thinking in terms of uh, the first quarter growth. You know, it started off fairly solid, and it took a hit as the effects of COVID-19 intensified. Initially impacted industries like recreation, transportation, food services, accommodations, account for about 14% of total consumption spending. So, you know, those took a hit really quickly, and we're expecting to see that show up in the first quarter with uh, a contraction of 5%. We're talking negative 5% annualized quarterly growth for the first quarter. These effects are having ripple effects through the economy, so we expect a significantly larger contraction in the second quarter of negative 20% annualized quarterly growth. If we get past the peak of the virus by mid to late summer, then we expect to see growth bounce back in the third and fourth quarters at around 5% annualized quarterly growth in both quarters. So overall, we expect economic growth to decline 
7.75% in 2020 and to rebound, increasing by 3% in 2021. You can see a pretty strong correlation between GDP growth and credit union loan growth. That they certainly tend to move together, and it's not surprising that you'll see we're forecasting a slowdown in loan growth. Um, my colleague, Jordan, will be talking about that a little bit later. The logic here is simple. When economic growth is high, wages and income typically increase. People take out more loans. Credit unions do to, tend to do well. Uh, you'll see strong loan growth in healthy portfolios. And we, we expect the, the opposite to be occurring in, in the short in the short term. Because consumer and business demand have, have really taken a nosedive, there's significant and there's significant volatility in the oil market, with average oil prices down. Um, we're forecasting price deflation uh, that's really concentrated in the second quarter, where we expect to see negative five percent annualized quarterly growth. By the fourth quarter, as demand and economic growth move into positive territory, we expect to see inflation at around 1.5%. Again, this is an annualized quarterly growth rate. So we're forecasting deflation for the year. We see it averaging negative 0.63% for the year. So as economic recovery proceeds and the economy moves back toward the long-run equilibrium growth path, we expect annual inflation to average around 1.7% in 2021. The U.S. labor market through the beginning of this year has been exceptionally strong. It's been characterized by, by historically low levels of unemployment, where even people that had been on the sidelines of the labor market since the Great Recession were, were enticed to join. Um, we were starting to see modest wage gains. Uh, and monthly job creation was steady. Consumers were confident. They were spending. Even in the face of Brexit, uh, the trade war, political uncertainty around impeachment. But what we know is the labor market is typically a lagging indicator, which means, for example, that you can have slower growth and it won't show up in this figure for quite a while. Well, in the span of a month, we've gone from 3.5% unemployment in February to 4.4% unemployment in March. This represents the largest month-over-month -month increase since 1975. Something really significant is going on. The March unemployment rate, while elevated, still doesn't capture the entire picture of the tectonic shift in the labor market. That's in part because the survey that this measure is based on was conducted in the first half of the month. It's really too early to capture um, much of the COVID-19-related economic slowdown and loss of jobs. We know that millions of Americans have already lost their jobs as a result of the COVID-19 epidemic. It's happened at a rate and level we have not seen before. In just the two weeks ending April 2nd, unemployment claims rose by approximately 10 million. This is by far the highest two-week increase in, in U.S. history. Um, we expect that U.S. unemployment rate will jump to around 15% in the second quarter of the year. And uh, it'll probably decline or likely decline to around 10% by the end of the year as economic growth returns. There are alternative scenarios floating out there where some economists project unemployment rising even higher than what we have here. 
But assuming that COVID-19 is controlled by mid-year, we don't see a significant return later in the year or even next year, then we expect unemployment in 2020 to be around 10% and falling to 7.5% in 2021 as uh, recovery is underway. If we look at unemployment by race and ethnicity, we see that some groups are, are more vulnerable than others. We know that Blacks and Hispanics are likely to work in COVID-19 impacted industries and this, this data isn't even close to capturing the full picture of what's going on. So we'll probably see these disparities balloon as more data comes in. But here's the latest. Unemployment rate for Blacks is 6.7% up from 5.5% six months ago. For Hispanics, it's 6% up from 4.1% six months ago. For Asians, it's 4.1, up from 2.8% six months ago. And for whites, it's 4%, up from 3.2% six months ago. Those are significant increases in a very short period of time. And like I said, we expect to see um, much larger increases in, in the near term. This is just one data point, but we know that the COVID-19 crisis is threatening the financial health of households of color, as well as low-income households, rendering both particularly vulnerable. So while we may be tempted to put our diversity, equity, and inclusion work aside until the coronavirus subsides, credit unions work to, to advance DEI is especially critical now to help vulnerable members and staff weather the COVID-19 crisis. We're posting an issues brief on this topic that includes some tips on how credit unions can use the DEI lens in their COVID-19 response um, on our website. Here's a, a quick list of our frontline workers who are vulnerable because they're, they're really at highest risk for exposure. There are more than 1,200 credit unions with fields of membership that serve these particular groups. And if we expand it out and take a look at the most economically vulnerable members in industries. This is what that looks like. Individuals from rural areas, people of color, low-income workers, big uh, independent workers, older adults, especially those that are on uh, a fixed income. And finally, I'd like just something to consider. There's been some research that highlights the socioeconomic divide and how low-income groups are more vulnerable during the crisis. The research finds that wealthier people are staying home the most, especially during the work week, and they started staying home well before the poor. So the wealthy had a head start on social distancing. Job security, their ability to work remotely has certainly helped. They may be better able to avoid becoming sick. While low-income workers tend to work in parts of the service industry that require face-to-face -face interaction, so if they're fortunate to still be employed, staying at home may not be an option for them. There's not a lot of data on the relationship between socioeconomic status and infection rates, but uh, some stats out of New York City and Milwaukee suggest that COVID-19 is being low-income neighborhoods the hardest, um, and so it's, it's important that we consider these most vulnerable groups. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Jordan, who will talk about the impact of COVID-19 on credit union operations. Let's get started. Uh, I'm going to talk about credit union operations and what the, uh, the economic situation might mean for credit unions. We wanted to highlight the past two recessions. This was the recession in 2001. You can see this was a relatively mild recession. It wasn't particularly deep. 
and the economy came out of it relatively quickly. At that time, credit union loan growth dropped to just 7%, so it wasn't a particularly catastrophic uh, recession. In the Great Recession, you can see that credit union loan growth dropped 1.2%. So we're currently forecasting credit union loan growth of 2% for this year. That would be down from 6.5% last year, so a pretty significant drop in credit union loan growth. However, at this point, we don't expect it to be quite as low as what happened during the Great Recession. And that's for a number of reasons. Probably the biggest one is that uh, nowadays 50% of credit union loans uh, are made up of mortgages. That's about half of credit union loan portfolios. And at least at the moment, the housing market and mortgage markets seem to remain relatively strong. We see a bit of a bounce back next year, but still below the long-run average. And I just wanted to highlight uh, what you guys probably already know and remember from the Great Recession, and that is that when banks stepped back, credit unions really filled the void. Credit unions continued to lend when banks were really turning people away. Of course, that was a financial crisis, a very different situation, but credit union and bank loan growth was trending up right before the crisis hit. But as soon as the crisis hit, banks dropped off a cliff and they really pulled back on lending whereas credit unions continued to lend. It was the nonprofit cooperative nature of credit unions that led them to continue lending, despite the fact that they were receiving actually much lower profit margins. But it's a big part, of course, of what we do as credit unions. So we expect that to, to really continue. But, of course, the demand side is the factor that might significantly be pulled back. Credit union credit cards and other unsecured loans have been growing at a pretty steady pace over the past six years or so. However, if we look at credit union auto lending, we see pretty significant drop-offs. Now, we can remind ourselves that credit union auto loans make up about a third of all of credit union loan portfolios. So this is a pretty significant piece of what credit unions do. And you can see, for example, new auto loans, even before the coronavirus hit, dropped from 20% growth back in 2014 to just 0.1% last year. So that was already on a pretty significant downward trend. Similar trend for used auto loans, not quite as severe, but a pretty significant downward trend to where we had just 4.1% growth in used auto loans last year, credit unions. Some of the early estimates we're seeing are that uh, auto sales, of course, are going to be way down this year as people uh, engage in social distancing, stay at home. They're just not even driving their cars. So auto sales are predicted to be down, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20%, perhaps more depending on how long things last. We go over here to mortgages, first mortgages, and then the next set uh, of bars there are HELOC and second mortgages. As we've mentioned, we expect these to stay relatively strong due to, to the low interest rate environment. We've already heard of credit unions getting quite creative and finding ways to continue to lend. Now, first mortgages might be a little different than second mortgages. With all of the social distancing, it is a little bit hard for people to go in and view homes. We've also heard from credit unions that uh, it can be hard to find, for example, appraisers or maybe title companies are closed. So even though there's a lot of demand with low interest rates, it can be a little bit hard to move those along might be a little bit easier with uh, HELOCs and second mortgages and perhaps refinances. So 
We expect some of these to continue a little bit stronger. Commercial lending is a bit of a wild card. We expect kind of normal, typical credit union business lending to pull back significantly as small businesses uh, really struggle. As we know, you know, restaurants, retail, all sorts of businesses are struggling due to lower demand. However, uh, we also know that the Small Business Administration has implemented Paycheck Protection Program, which I believe started at about $250 billion. Steve Mnuchin just uh, announced, I believe, another $250 billion for that program. So to the extent that credit unions engage in that, that could really uh, boost credit union business lending. But we know that it is a minority overall of credit unions that uh, have experienced and are engaged in the SBA lending. So it certainly won't be for all credit unions. Moving along to credit union membership growth, we expect you know a pretty similar trend to what we saw on the loan growth. If you look back here to the past two recessions, again, it's really hard to predict what will happen, but this is kind of the best we can do is look at what's happened during past recessions. 2001, we didn't see a huge drop-off in membership growth, but we did see a really big drop-off in 2010 to just 0.7% membership growth. And we expect a similar trend this time around, pretty significantly reduced membership growth. Part of that is because so much of credit union membership growth recently has been through indirect auto lending. Uh, we've estimated that roughly 40% of the growth in credit union loan portfolios has been from indirect auto lending. And to the extent that that really uh, stops, membership growth is going to drop off quite a bit as well. Also, you know, if there's this long period of time where folks are not getting new loans, credit unions might also drop off numbers that originated an auto loan but haven't opened up any other uh, accounts. So that will also kind of keep membership growth low. We do see it picking up a little bit, hopefully in 2021, but still below the long run average. Credit union savings uh, tends to really spike during recessions. We see that in 2001, where credit union savings growth went up to 15%, and also in 2009 and 10, when it went up to 10%. Now, this is due to numerous factors. Some of the biggest are that people just pull back on spending, they pull back on discretionary spending, and they really uh, take out much fewer loans, so that increases deposits at credit unions. This time around, we expect a pretty similar trend of credit union deposit growth going up to 12% for the year. Part of that is also due to these stimulus checks that are going to be coming into credit union members starting uh, later this month. So many credit union members, you know, they are going to be in the fortunate situation of being able to keep their jobs and being relatively okay. So those deposits are going to come in and they might not immediately spend them. That said, this is really going to depend on the membership of your credit unions, of course. Different credit unions, you know, they're in different regions. They have different types of membership. We know that credit unions in particular that serve a high proportion of maybe hourly workers or folks that are in the service economy, those folks might end up having much uh, reduced hours or even losing their jobs. And those credit unions, if they don't have those payroll deposits coming in, they could see much lower deposit growth than what we show here. But overall, we do expect higher deposit growth and then dropping off uh, a little bit next year. So overall, if we have strong savings growth and low loan growth, of course, it's going to increase liquidity at credit unions, and we predict the loan-to-share ratio to drop pretty significantly in 2020 and 2021. 
this is probably uh, appease regulators, but uh, in some sense, it's not the greatest time because credit unions are going to have a lot of liquidity and are probably going to have a, a hard time getting that out the door due to reduced demand. In terms of credit union portfolio quality, again, we can kind of look back at the Great Recession and see what happened there. The top one are delinquencies and the bottom one uh, are charge-offs. Delinquencies went up to almost 2% during the Great Recession, charge-offs well over 1%. We're predicting delinquencies to go up to maybe one and a quarter percent and charge-offs to maybe around 85 to 90 basis points. At this point, we're not predicting portfolio quality to deteriorate to the extent of the Great Recession uh, for a number of reasons. Things could change, but for now, we do expect this to be, you know, it's a planned recession. We're telling people to stay home, and it's hopefully for a relatively short period of time, perhaps two to three months. So given it's relatively temporary and people are somewhat planning for it, uh, we can make more accommodations. So we know already that many credit unions are doing things like skip pays, forbearance, deferments, all sorts of means to be able to uh, help people during this difficult time that won't necessarily lead to higher delinquencies or charge-offs. So that's why we don't see it getting quite so bad. Um, but, of course, if the social distancing uh, remains in effect much longer than Mike mentioned at the beginning uh, under our assumptions, or if the recession is a lot worse, this could end up um, being potentially much worse. The other thing to mention, too, actually, is that this time around, both the Federal Reserve and the government, the federal government, have got involved uh, much quicker and much more aggressively. So things like the stimulus checks, uh, the PPP SBA loan program, all of these things will also hopefully help people to be able to continue to, to make their payments. Uh, significantly expanded unemployment insurance as well, all of that will, will help folks out and hopefully keep portfolio quality at, at a somewhat reasonable level. Earnings, we expect to drop off quite a bit to 40 basis points uh, this year, down from 93 basis points last year. During the Great Recession, it drops all the way down to 18 basis points. Again, we don't expect it to fall quite that much, largely because mortgage lending is set to continue, and uh, we very much hope that this is a somewhat temporary thing. The Great Recession, of course, took a really long time to recover from, but Again, there's a lot of uncertainty, so it's difficult to say for sure. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, credit unions, of course, have many different situations, uh, depending on the region you're in, the extent of the coronavirus epidemic, the type of membership you serve. So it's a little challenging for us at CUNIT to break all of that up, but we can at least break up credit unions by loan size. The median credit union uh, only has 36 million assets, so the typical credit union is quite small. And then credit unions from 50 to 250 million, 250 to 500, and then over 500 million. So clearly you can see that uh, if you look at loan growth, the smallest credit unions are, are growing the slowest. So uh, last year they only grew 1.9%. And during the Great Recession, pretty much all credit unions, except for the largest credit unions, experienced negative loan growth. So we could have a very similar situation here where uh, the aggregate totals show positive loan growth, but we know that quite a few credit unions, especially the smaller ones, could experience much lower loan growth. 
Similar trend for uh, membership growth, we can see that these smaller credit unions, actually the typical credit union with less than 50 million in assets, had negative membership growth during the financial crisis and even slower uh, membership growth even today. So those credit unions could potentially struggle a bit more. But above 50 million, pretty much all of these uh, other credit unions continue to grow during the financial crisis. We know, of course, a lot of folks came over from banks and uh, are continuing to grow today as well. Once again, a pretty clear correlation. This is experienced at all credit unions that during recessions, asset growth and uh, deposit growth tends to go up quite a bit. So you see those big peaks during each of the last two recessions, and you can see actually the trend was already going up even before this recession. So we expect that to continue. And you see, once again, uh, earnings broken up by asset size, and the smaller credit unions have a typical earnings of about 50 basis points versus about 90 at the large credit unions. One positive note is that we did have, you know, 10 years of economic expansion, the longest economic expansion in recent history. Credit unions grew really quickly, and they really developed their capital ratios. So this is the median capital ratio of credit unions, and the smaller credit unions have uh, an even higher uh, capital ratio at over 13%, whereas uh, the rest of the credit unions are about 11%, but all of them have capital well in excess of the minimum threshold of about 7%. So that's a very good sign, and it means that most credit unions should be able to weather the storm. And this is really a time, of course, to, to use some of that capital to weather the storm and continue to serve our members. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.